Well, good afternoon. Welcome to the latest edition of the ASA podcast. Actually, I don't know if it's afternoon or not. It is where I am right now. So it may not be for you. So originally, <clears throat> this subject was supposed to be what's happening with commodities prices, and we'll probably get to that next week or the week after. But given the fact that this is the day that the Ukrainian thing finally reached a peak, I think we're going to talk a little bit about that and about what it's having to do with oil and gas prices. So we've been expecting it for weeks. <clears throat> Everyone and their brother was warning that this was imminent, and so it finally happened. We've had Russia invade Ukraine. Still don't really know what the intent is, how far this will go, what Putin has in mind. We'll probably find out over the next week or so. It has already had some pretty dramatic impact on oil and gas prices, but interestingly enough, there's been more volatility than perhaps we anticipated. Um, it's only been a few hours since Biden made a speech in which he indicated that they were not going to necessarily kick Russia out of the SWIFT system anytime soon. Many of you are probably not all that intimately aware of what the SWIFT system really is. It's a, basically it's a communication and payment system between banks. It was formed in 1973 as a way for banks to communicate with each other uh, over international transactions. There are now 200 countries involved with SWIFT. There are probably 9,000 or more banks and institutions and people with SWIFT numbers. One, it's not possible for the U.S. to kick Russia out all by itself. This is not something that it really doesn't have that kind of a structure. I mean, it's it's a communication system to even describe that way. More to the point, the Russians are unlikely to be booted out of this because there are thousands of companies that are buying things or selling things with Russia in Europe, in the United States, around the world that don't suddenly want their payment ability stripped away from them. So there's going to be resistance to trying to get Russia out of it to begin with. And beyond that, the Chinese have indicated that they will allow the Russians to participate with their banking system regardless. So there's there's not a lot of real imminent danger that the SWIFT system will be removed as far as Russia is concerned. That's important in terms of oil and gas because it's an awful lot of those commodity transactions are conducted through the SWIFT system. And if you were watching oil prices at the end of Biden's speech, they dropped. So there was a sense among the oil markets that this was good news, that they were not going to see really, really draconian steps taken, even with the the fury of reaction. And that it, without being too cynical about all this, the countries that are looking at these sanctions are going, yeah, we really want to punish the Russians for doing this. However, we don't want to destroy ourselves in the process. The fact that Europe is still very dependent on Russian gas makes them very reluctant to do anything really extreme because it's going to hurt them as much or more than it hurts the Russians. So the price per barrel of oil jumped over 100 bucks. I think it hit 105 and then began to drift back again. There's conversation about whether it will go as high as 125 or 150 or even higher. 
A lot of factors would have to play into that. Number one, you'd have to see the sanctions really bite and for people to take them seriously and understand that China can undercut these. The Chinese have already said that they will buy the gas and oil that Russia might not be able to sell to the Europeans. So that kind of reduces the impact of the sanctions right there. The other issue, quite frankly, is kind of the reaction of the OPEC countries. The U.S. oil producers are back pretty close to their original production prior to all the COVID mess. OPEC has been the one that's been a little reluctant to shift into high gear because they're waiting to see if demand is really there. They are now making noises about getting their production levels up. But the ultimate, more long-term issue with oil and gas is that investors have kind of been scared off of that sector. There's been so much conversation about shifting to alternatives and wind and solar and geothermal and whatever else that the investors are thinking, well, is there not really interest in fossil fuels sufficient for us to be investing? And the number of dollars going into fossil fuel development has diminished. There's not as much capacity as there used to be. So the more that there's this discussion about shifting to fossil fuel or away from fossil fuel, and the more that there is discussion about restricting fossil fuel, restricting fracking, shutting down pipelines, reducing the number of federal leases, all of that stuff tends to push the investors away for obvious reasons, and it reduces the capacity. So... Not that it's an immediate situation, but it's something that has certainly constrained development. We've seen a lot fewer oil wells going in. We've seen the rig count decline. And so that's that's something we have to take into consideration kind of medium to long term. Many of the other commodities that <clears throat> are important to the ASA community a little more rational, a little bit more demand-supply driven, but given the importance of petrochemicals and all of the derivatives that come off oil, it's it's obviously at the top of the ASA members list. My expectation is that there will be a certain amount of calm returning to the energy markets in the next few months or quarter. I don't think that you're going to get up to that 150 buck a barrel level unless there's just something truly dramatic uh, that takes place with uh, the Russian invasion. But I don't think it's going to fall much below the 90s uh, into the 100s. So I think we can kiss those 50, 60 dollar a barrel days goodbye for a while maybe permanently. Um, but I've said that before and then they fall again. So we're we're looking for the gas sector to be even more volatile. That's mostly what the Europeans are concerned with right now. Something like a six to seven hundred percent increase in the price of natural gas. The only country that is sort of immune from all this and laughing all the way to the bank is the French. They've invested in nuclear power. Um, Eighty-five to ninety percent of their energy comes from nukes. And they're suddenly getting out on the market saying, hey, would you like to buy our nuclear power plants? A lot more reliable than Russian gas. <laughs> so we'll sort of see how that transpires. So bad news is oil prices is up, probably staying up for another quarter. Uh, good news is I don't think they'll hit the really extreme peaks that people have been predicting and may even start to fade 
towards the middle of the year as some of the other oil producers begin to kick in. I mean, we're it's hard to substitute for the third largest oil producer in the world, but one really interesting conversation that has just started is that it now would be an ideal time for the Iranians to come back into the oil market. And one of the things they're now doing is using that leverage and saying, we would really like some of these concessions that we've been asking for over these nuclear talks. And if we get them, we'll come back into the oil market. And you remember, we used to be the number four oil producer in the world. We could make up for a lot of that Russian loss. So the geopolitics gets more and more interesting all the time. Talk to you later, and thanks for listening.